Like, I, I firmly don't believe that anybody's coming up with like original concepts. I think that all these concepts are, they come from somewhere, you know what I mean? And we all say we want new stuff, but we actually just want familiar things that are just tweaked a little bit. You're listening to the Mouthwash Podcast. So yeah, just I guess we always usually start off like by asking our guests like to tell us a little about about themselves in case you know people aren't familiar with them. Um, yeah. So see, so yeah, I just a little bit about yourself. Um, so I guess to kind of start, um, name is Caleb uh, Flowers. I uh, I live in I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. I've been here for a little while now, and um, I kind of do a little bit of everything. Uh, I don't really have like one main focus. Uh, I would say it all kind of like pivots around just kind of forcing dialogue around things I think are interesting. And because of that, it usually comes back to design, like product design or like uh, some sort of retail design or something like that, just because that's kind of my, um, that usually kind of, that's kind of like my uh, setting for conversation. So uh, that's kind of what I, what I focus on, but yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm into all sorts of stuff and kind of lucky to be here. So, yeah. Amazing. Um, what have you been up to recently? Um, so a little bit about myself in the past and kind of what I've been up to and kind of how I got to this new project. Uh, so in the past, I've mostly focused on retail stuff. Um, I recently closed my uh, retail location. So I had a store for seven years and uh, and usually every three years it takes a new concept. So Anyways, the newest form of this concept is in the form of more of like a, a traveling retail store almost or multiple uh, locations that's in the form of uh, like automated retail or vending machines. So I've been messing around with that for the last couple of years, but um, we're getting to the point where we're getting ready to start doing it. So it's pretty exciting. So I actually um, was just making like little models and stuff of how I want to set it up. And I'm not real sure what it looks like quite yet, but um, that's the fun part. So, so, so you're, um, <laughs> your brand's called Hatherbrook, right? Athenbrook, yeah. Sorry, I, I'm jumping jumping ahead. Yeah, it's called <laughs> Athenbrook, and um, the meaning behind the name, we were just looking for something kind of fun. It's actually it was named after uh, a really beautiful basin uh, out here in Utah that um, I like the way the letters looked, and it was kind of weird sounding and hard to say and interesting. I thought so. Uh, we landed on that, and that built the whole store concept and brand around that. So we always talk to people about, about like. Everybody's, Everybody's always, always like, like, how do you guys come up with the name Mouthwash? And like, how did you land on that idea? Yeah, but it, it's always it's always interesting to see where it all comes from. Yeah, like uh, all my friends, I think, for a little bit, and even still people now, it's hard to say. And I, I actually kind of like it because um, I just think it's different. At the time, there was a lot of things being called uh, – like grain and gram or indigo and cotton or something and something. And I got close to being like, Oh, like maybe there's like this, this like cool thing in there I could do uh, as far as a name. And I'm, I'm happy. I kind of went with something that was a little uncomfortable at the time because uh, it ended up, Hey, I really ended up liking it in the long run and, and uh, it feels like it actually means a little something. So it's cool. Have you always lived in Utah? I know. So it's weird how I kind of got in Utah. Um, and I actually didn't think I'd be here for as long as I, have been um so i'm originally from louisville kentucky so i'm from kind of like the midwest area so i got family in ohio and uh and i grew up uh knob creek road and just outside of louisville kentucky and then i moved to montana with my family in like 95 
and then me and my brother moved down to um, to Salt Lake City in like early 2000s, like 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were we were kind of wanted to go to the closest like big city, so where we were at in Montana was is either like basically Spokane or Seattle or Salt Lake, and and we had a friend in Salt Lake, so so we ended up kind of just making a run for it. Yeah, yeah. My, uh, uh, my parents, my parents are from Louisville, Louisville. Or, like, or like Jeffersonville, Jeffersonville Indiana. Yeah. And then uh, I grew up in Ohio. Ohio. You're from Jayville. Yeah, <laughs> Marksville, Jeffersonville. Yeah, no, it's uh, Jeffersonville's cool. We used to go. They have the cool skate park. I think we just got a new one. But um, yeah, that whole zone, like I'm super. Uh, I mean Montana too, but uh, Louisville is super special, and we spent a lot of time in Cincinnati, Louisville, and then Chicago, kind of doing that triangle. Um, when I was younger and that was, uh, in Indianapolis as well, but that was like a really fun, I don't know, just fun area and I'm super nostalgic about it. So I really like that whole zone. Have you ever felt like the urge to move to like New York or LA or like where the stuff that you're, what you're doing is kind of like big. I feel like there's something really cool that you are where you are in Utah and how it's like a little bit more, um, middle America, not as common. Like, have you ever felt like you wanted to live anywhere else? Yeah, I think I should. I might still, you know. Um, So I I think about it often. And actually, I think that the beauty is probably like thinking about it and not doing it. Um, And me and my wife talk about it often because I'm like, is it better? So I guess in retrospect, like we travel to these places and it's so fun for us to like go to New York and see our friends or like go to L.A. and and cruise around. How should we move here? Um, But we often know that living in those places is much different than visiting it. So yeah. so we actually tried to like go to New York and be like, let's stay in like Carroll Gardens area or let's stay like somewhere where we would actually live and then travel into the city and feel like, you know what I mean? Like, let's see what that feels like versus Kind of get staying. the feel of it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so I think the beauty of it is going and leaving there and wanting to be like, oh man, I wish I was a part of this 24 seven. But maybe the reality is, is like, it's not like that every day. And it is so fun because we don't get to do it all the time. Um, so I think that that maybe pushes the idea and like, if we live there, then that idea, that feeling maybe is gone or maybe it's not, to be honest, I'm not real sure. But, um, but I do like the idea of, of being in a spot where more stuff happens. I think that I talk to kids around here, um, a lot because most of them want to move to these places or end up moving and, and getting into modeling or whatever it is. And, uh, and it's pretty cool because like, I think that it's because you, it's almost like this displacement kind of thing where you're not yeah. in- circles where you study a little harder like research what you're into a little bit more because you feel like you're being left out um so you end up going and being really well educated on these topics and i think that if you grow up in these places maybe um, you're just around them but you maybe uh you don't research them as much because you're already a part of them uh so i I don't know i think there's pros and cons but yeah i think about it often for sure yeah we kind of like that's something we've always talked about is just like how we all grew up in different places and now we're here in LA and how that kind of like shapes us and shapes what we've made and what just kind of like the different lens we have versus if we grew up in a big city, like, I think it just makes all the difference. I think so. I think it's, um, do you guys ever feel like, like, are you from, are you from LA? Um, so I'm from a suburb of Chicago. Alex is from Ohio and Abe is from Dallas, Texas. Cool. Like it's nice little spread out. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I think about stuff like longitude and latitude and like where some of these other cities are, like things like like Malmo being like close to Alaska, you know, and like not close, but you know what I mean? Like on the same line, like why isn't Juneau popping like Copenhagen? Mm. 
You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like things like that, I think, are super interesting. And it's I think it's a lot of reasons being close to, you know, Paris or London or Amsterdam or whatever. But I like the idea of thinking that these other little hubs could be just as big. Um, and I think it's just now that we have the Internet, um, they can be a part of them just as much as um, just as much as being down, you know, down the road or being close. They can still be a part of it on the Internet. I mean, we're talking now. So I like the idea of really cool cultural things coming um, from these off the beaten path places, but in a really real way. Um, I don't know. Do you think being exposed to, to that, you know, and growing up in some of these cities, um, kind of inspired your next concept of like vending machines and, and selling through the use of them? Yeah. Yes. And no, I think that like <laughs> the vending, to be honest, the vending machine thing, like I'm super passionate about it, but it might not work. Like it might just be one of these things that like, it, it could just lead me to like point C, but what I like about the vending machine thing is that it, it lets me find out, like it lets me travel to some of these off the beaten path places as well as some of these big cities and just talk to people. Like it, it, um, it actually like is just the catalyst for that conversation. So, um, I think probably more, more often than not, I think the, the need to like of living in a spot that's like maybe not so close to these things and traveling to them, it, it seems like the importance of that conversation is just, going and finding someone who's like, um, you know, interested in the same things that you are and having kind of like this real back and forth. I think there's like a lot of value in that. And if people are willing to travel towards it, I think that like that maybe ties in with the vending machine a little bit, but, um, but yeah, I'm not real, I'm not hundred percent sure yet. Yeah. We were talking about it internally, which all kind of like fascinated because accessibility is like a huge thing nowadays. And, and we all grew up in small towns, like, um, all pretty much suburbs and, and, we got connected because, you know, through the internet, we, we all like the same things and shared similar um, interests and, and ideas and, and hobbies and stuff like that. Um, so we, when we actually moved to a big city, that's why we kind of hit it off um, yeah. is because of that. And then uh, for a lot of times, like, you know, we're, we're living in these small towns back home and we, we want all these like cool brands that we don't have access to access to and and the vending machine idea to me is, is really interesting because you know it kind of breaks that um that accessibility that like someone in a small town in utah or a small town in texas may be able to to you know still have some of the some of their favorite brands in front of their face you know and not have to have like this super expensive shop that has a million other barriers um that yeah. you know may may hold that back for ever becoming a possibility no, I think that definitely makes sense. I think that there's, there's something that I'm super interested in in finding out, and I've kind of messed around with it. Um, and so it's hard for me to it's hard for me to kind of navigate in conversation. I'm not real good at like articulating these things sometimes. But what I think is happening is, um, you know, when I mention vending machines, usually a lot of people the first thing they jump to is convenience. Um, and I think that uh, convenience is out there so much so that like Amazon can deliver you like toilet paper within like it's a toilet weird. Two hours. Uh, two hours, yeah. Uh, so I think that I think that people are tired of convenience. And this is something that with a little big data download, which I'll explain that in a little bit. Um, I think we actually, and it, it kind of dovetails with your conversation, I think having to work a little bit harder to find what you're into actually makes um, that discipline. It actually makes whatever you find or, or grab, it, it means a little bit more. Um, so most the time when I mentioned these vending machines, like, oh, when I do this, people are like, oh, it's smart. He's doing it for, like, convenience and putting, like, high-end brands. But really, the only thing the vending machine is is it's just a souvenir for the conversation that I, like, want to have with people all over. So so 
it gives me a, a activation point to really just stand and talk to people and really align with them. It's the same, the same thing I do in the shop, but usually it's not so much about like activating um, the vending machine as it is just having an interaction. And, and through that interaction, nine times out of 10, people will probably grab some sort of uh, merchandise or souvenir to remember it, or they believe in the same things that you believe in or you align with them on some experience they've had. And so that's actually... Um, it's actually almost getting paid for your time and just like finding that common bond. So that's actually like my my goal with the vending machine is just to have this really, really good interaction with different people. Um, so that's that's what I'm like really, really interested in. And I think that those conversations are getting harder and harder to have. Um, like so much convenience is like being had and buying product, that conversation around why you need the product? Is it the right product for you? Um, is it the right size? Is it the right brand? Like, if I'm into this brand, what are other brands? Like, I feel like we're getting less and less of that. So I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm really interested in finding finding that out and kind of bringing that back. Yeah, kind of reminds me of a. Yeah, good. Does that make sense though? A little bit like, like it's really just like putting these small activation points where I can pin around to, and then just really like just kind of talk to people or have conversations. So. Instead of people coming to me and into the shop and me kind of controlling that element, I can ping around mm-hmm. at the location and, and see what they're about and say, hey, I'm in you know Boise or I'm in the middle of nowhere, um, southern Utah or I'm in L.A. You know what I mean? Like it really yeah. takes out of that element and then now I can actually go and have different conversations versus uh, that maybe I don't know about. You know what I mean? Maybe it's a growing point for me too. Uh, but the product is kind of part, part of that conversation. No, it does make sense because I feel like in this day and age, like human interaction is is getting dubbed down more and more, and 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 just being able to like meet up with you, I think a lot of people will will see and just get to hear about the brand before they actually commit to buying or purchasing. Um, yeah. It's something that not a lot of people are doing. Yeah, and like it's really it's so it's it's also I think important, like especially because I get kind of lumped into some of the. The brand talk. Oh, it's it's a it's, you know. There's so many kind of buzzwords being thrown around between like experiential and activating and all this stuff. And I I think at its very like essence, like the word impressions, um, which it has a lot of value to a lot of brands. And um, like oh, like you know, we have and interactions are two different things. And and so um, interactions are kind of hard to scale. So that's the one thing that like might be hard for me with this is like it's a really hard thing to have based just on like time constraints to have like really good conversations, long form or that have like emotional, like attachment, no matter if they're about skateboarding, music, or just like real kind of life shit, it's a hard thing to scale. And so most big companies go the opposite way and go for impressions because then it's just like scaling content. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like the idea of like, hey, maybe this is the most like realistic way to scale an interaction. And it might not be, like I said, it might but I, I like the idea, and I think it's a worthy kind of, like, venture to, like, at least try that way, so. Caleb, something you said about, like, um, like convenience almost being too, like, easier to, like, low-hanging fruit. It's like, I read this article by Seth Godin who was just talking about, like, better than, like, what, what is better than free and this idea that, like, things that are free in life, like the cheap drawstring bag that you get from a convention or, like, a flyer that somebody hands you on the street are just, like, really throwaways. And it's it's interesting to, like, create value and dialogue behind the product. Like, people are going to more so talk about the experience of them getting a product or a vending machine that they found in their hometown rather than, like, them, you know, getting something at 
like two day shipping on Amazon. So it's really the interesting. I think when you say forcing dialogue behind that, I think it's pretty, pretty, you know, genius in a level to, to force that dialogue behind the situation of like the experience of buying something. Yeah. And I think that you also have to be like, as a consumer, you're kind of responsible for the purchase as well. Like, it's kind of like, Hey, I wanted, you know, I wanted to buy this. I wanted to spend money on it. I wanted like, this is a really great experience I have. Therefore it means a little bit more. So you're not going to, you know, take it to the thrift store or put it on grilled immediately or resell it right after just because you have an emotional attachment to it. Like you wouldn't go sell like your hand-me-down from your great grandfather or something like that. Cause it's got that emotional, uh, attachment. So I think that, I think that making it a little bit more of a journey to like find something uh, that you're into actually like ends up lasting a little bit longer. Um, it's, it's kind of the hope, but then trying to give that thing value to is also like a tricky, you know, like, actual value not like this perceived value like this is why you should get it because there's a quantifiable edge and it like does tricks and it's sustainable and you can wear it like 30 different ways i feel like an actual like emotional attachment of something that's real uh, and i think that that happens through like conversation and just aligning you know for whether you align or don't align it's still some sort of experience which i think is good so kind of explain the bidding machines concept so like how they broke the the store is closed now and it's like now you're just taking it to like these locations and people can buy what kind of objects or items inside these vending machines and like where will they be placed like in the middle of nowhere like on the street um to be honest i don't really know uh like i thought i think i think what i've kind of been going through it's a a little bit of the process now is like before when i had this store i kind of came to this point of like like the immediate thing was is we got to this spot where it's like oh you should do a pop-up in new york you should do one in la um like my friend's got a spot you should do it here and i was like is that i don't know i just didn't i didn't i like the idea of that for the idea of selling stuff but i just felt like it, it didn't feel like super authentic and it it just felt like i was kind of taking from these other people's market um and then just leaving you know so you know i was like well maybe we set up something permanent in one of these locations and if I do that, what, what value am I bringing that's not already in these cities? And I, I think there's so many cool shops out there that are really authentic. And like, like in New York, you have like Token and Good Company in L.A. I mean, you have older stores that have uh, older stores like uh, like uh, what's the one on uh, what's his name's dad's store? Concrete Superbrew, Max Fields. You have something like Max Fields, oh, yeah. like maybe is different. Isn't my favorite store, but, you know, it's been there for so long. It's got um, it's got this like. I don't know, like kind of legendary status. Then you got like Mr. Green and like, um, you know, like Ariel's thing. So like there's so much cool stuff. I didn't really feel like going in and doing that uh, made much sense for me. So then I was like, okay, um, maybe I do something in Utah that's really big, really unique and invite people out. Maybe it's like brutalist. There's horses running around and it's it's only online based and it's an experience. And you come out and it would be like Marfa, but it's this, and then I'm doing it all just to sell, uh, you know, to sell <laughs> hoodies and sweatshirts. It's, it kind of seemed a little bit backwards. So, um, so I, at the very core of it, it was like, well, the one thing that without the product or anything, the one thing that is always happening is dialogue. So how can I scale that idea? Like, how can I have dialogue, but travel with it? You know what I mean? Like go and talk to as many people as possible, get as much data as possible and, and leave an impression. Um, and so that's where I came to the vending machine thing. And then the way I scale it now is, or the goal is, is to have a few of these things floating around the U.S. Uh, or, or wherever, and then almost go on tour with them. Um, so, for example, if it was me and you guys, we'd say, hey, we're in L.A., 
we have a machine down there. We're going to do one in a different spot we usually do. Uh, and we have an interesting product that we feel adds value, whether it be a book, whether it be a sculpture, a mug, something that's maybe more than merch or at least interesting enough that, um, that we can forge a conversation around it. Uh, and then we go and hang out. And there's other, and maybe like there's a kid that's into the same stuff we're into, uh, or maybe it's just us. And at the very least, we're drinking coffee outside talking about things we're into. Um, right, so right. You probably see a little bit like on my Instagram and stuff. I'm having like a real crossroads with packaging. Um, and most, most of the time when we talk about like, like my wife's an environmental studies major and she's really into sustainable design and just, and that's something I'm not super familiar with. Like I pretend to be, but it's not like, it's not something I know a lot about. So I've been like just cramming a ton of information and, and literally, it's almost like working with an eraser and trying to take everything out of your product. Um, and it's a tricky slope of like, you're trying to offer a product. Um, and in the past, it's been to upsell this thing but uh, and add more to it. But now we're trying to take away and keep that same value. And so um, right now, I'm on cardboard packaging. Uh, most, of the, most of the stuff I've been receiving has been like mycelium or mushroom packaging. Uh, <laughs> hemp rope or unfortunately everyone wants to add more stuff like dust bags or uh, yeah. you know, bottle or whatever and so then I'm like well, then we have more tote bags or then we have more and so that's been a really fun thing and a, a challenge that I think about but I'm actually doing it now and I'm like the last thing I want to do is put a vending machine in southern Utah that you know there's a plastic you know, plastic blowing around uh, you know Right. You know, ion or something like that, you know, so <laughs> it's really trying to figure out how we can just strip it away from everything, but still. And so what it's led me to is you guys do design. Um, so I'm wondering is, can you, can design be more verbal? You know what I mean? Mm. So, um, for example, I came across this folding technique, uh, called the, uh, what's it, what the fuck's it called? Uh, the Ranger roll. Have you heard of this? No. It's like an army technique. Uh, you've probably seen it. You just never heard it. Yeah. It's uh, just a way to roll up your jacket and hoodie um, to pack it down lighter. And so what I was wondering is, is it possible to rebrand that roll and name it something based on the machine? So as soon as you see it, as soon as you see something folded like that, that is the branding. Um, mm. You don't have any packaging. You just know by the way it's folded. Yeah, wow. It's from that brand. So. Um, so I don't know. It's, that's kind of where I'm at now. I, I like the idea of it, but it might take a little bit to, um, to kind of get it, get it going. Kind of like sleeping bags that like you stuff in a sack or something. Like you just know it's going to be like a mummy bag or something like something of the sort. Totally. Like experience. It would be the Kleenex of, you know, tissue boxes, but it'd be a way that it's folded. So there is no branding. It's just aesthetically you see it and you're like, Oh, that's an Eames chair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. chair, you just know. So, like, is there a way for us to do that with a black hoodie without any branding on it? And just by the way we fold it up and it comes out of this vending machine, when you give it to your dad or your brother or mom for their birthday or whatever, you already know what it is without saying. And so I like chasing that idea. Uh, yeah. I just I haven't fully unpacked it yet. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I, what you're talking about is, like, the way you're thinking about design differently now, too. It's, like, kind of just reminding me of this approach that we have. That I think Abraham does a really good job of selling, like whenever we're selling website design and, you know, being in LA, there's like a lot of like music artists who want to work with us and we're yeah. always trying to push the importance of like, let's not design something on Squarespace. Let's like give people a super unique, 
you know, experience on web because a lot of the times, like, these people are never going to tour to, like, the remote locations that your fans are living in. So it's like, how do we get the most, like, creative and practical experience that they can't touch? Um, so thinking about design now is, like, super important for us, too. So it's really interesting to hear you talk about the product design of that. Yeah. Knowing, like, oh, because of the way I unpackage or unfold it, that's the name of this type of design. Yeah. My buddy Adam, a uh, really smart guy, uh, he, we talked about this, but uh, it was the first time he kind of made me look a little deeper into the idea. And I think it'll start happening, but I don't know if you guys ever think of it, but getting off the internet, maybe altogether, or at least social media, uh, as a form of like, like, is it possible to promote design? Promote, it seems so much of a chore that we're not, I, I don't actually think it's a chore. I actually like it because I, I, I don't, maybe don't have to maybe promote my stuff as much as some like other businesses do. Um, just because I am lazy, I guess. But, uh, but you know what I mean? I think for some people, if you're running, when I did run more of the store business, I, I often felt like I was kind of chained to this idea of having to constantly market these things to, to sell them. Um, and I wonder this day and age, like, again, convenience is everywhere. This content is free. It's all around us. And there's so much of it, like it doesn't even really hit the same. And yeah. so I wonder if advertising is doing that. Like if you just got off altogether, if people, if it would give it more value that people had to look a little harder to even see what you guys do. Uh, I mean, a giant experiment, but <laughs> it's kind of risky. But I like, I like the idea of that. And if you guys ever think about stuff like that or not so much? It's kind of like the law of least effort, you know. So it's just, just trying to be a little bit more efficient. In, in how we do things, so our approach has to change, you know, not do what everybody else is doing and yeah. just try to be optimal um, from, like, you know, not just packaging, but, like, the whole experience. Yeah. I think even, like, from the beginning, from when we started, we always um, kind of thought about, like, okay, let's not give away everything. Like, maybe someone comes across mouthwash and they don't, like, fully understand what it is and they have to, like, put in a little bit more effort to, like, kind of understand everything that we do and, like, the element of mystery plus, like, not, like, it's the kind of what you were talking about with marketing. Like, how do we step a little bit away from just being, like, walking advertisement at all times and maybe create, like, this thing where people have to really, like, look a little bit closer, learn about it, and, like, really invest into it the same way that we're, like, you know, meeting them halfway in that. Yeah. So there's this kind of interesting thing. So you guys have heard of, have you heard of design think? I don't know. I don't think so. Somebody tried to sell it to me once, and then I basically <laughs> I took the. Uh, I, I'm sure you've probably seen it. I, I don't know. Like I said, I didn't you tell this some like weird stuff, but uh, basically, it's this concept that, and I probably am explaining it horribly wrong. But what I took away from it is the idea of having um, no experience or. Um, I feel like we're in this this day of having no experience or less value, uh, or or ne- you have no familiarity with what you're talking about. Is actually almost more value in a way, kind of like a like a focus group. And um, so I like the idea of um, that as kind of like this refreshing thing. So for example, like like the guy who you want to look at your car to fix it is uh, is somebody that knows nothing about cars. Um, because he's actually going to give you the the truest uh, opinion on what you think you should do, and um, and then you'll get a mechanic as well. But then at least you have two opinions. But the one you trust the most is the guy that has no experience because you feel like it's unbiased. 
So if we take that that to like design or something, it's like if everybody is kind of looking at these similar concepts or advertising in these similar ways, or a lot of times it's all of us, myself included, um, being like, we're going to zig when they zag, but if we're all zigging, we're all going the same way. It's like, it's almost looking, it's almost like just kind of staying completely away from it all. Um, and in a weird way that might give some sort of value because it's like a different set of eyes. Um, I like that idea. I don't, I don't really know if it, if it does give value or not, but, um, but I'm curious on like where it leads. Like if it, there's just so much good stuff and we're all kind of like on the internet looking at the same blogs and same Instagrams and stuff. Like we're all building with the same tools. If the guy shows up to the party with no tools at all, like I'm kind of curious what he's going to make. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that's often who we're selling to. We're not always just selling to, you know, the people that are in the same world that we are. We're, we're, you know, we're targeting people that are maybe starting to have some sort of interest or, you know, stumble upon it from some way or another. Um, but yeah, that's, that to- totally makes sense. Um, dude, one thing that I was really curious about, um, that you, you just kind of started snapping some pics, uh, about the headgear. Is it called Brewlers? Oh yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Uh, like you had absolutely no promotional, like you're not marketing at all. You just, just like, it's just really cool. <laughs> yeah. So, dude, Gale, uh, one of the, one of the way you, the ways you promote and stuff, I'm just like, what is he like trying to say here sometimes? <laughs> I'm like, I like to see a picture. I'm like, man, this looks cool. I hope it. I hope it's cool. <laughs> well, it's funny because you guys know about that. Um, so, really, it's funny because uh, some friends of mine went to a party and there's all these uh, other kids. They're like, "What's Brothers?" And, uh, and <laughs> I so Havenbrook and you guys probably feel this way about some stuff you make. I, I've spent so much time on it and uh, it made so mistakes, so many mistakes with it and had so many good experiences with it that it's like, it's almost defined me in a weird way. Um, so much so where it's hard for me to kind of like take chances with it, I guess. Like I do weirdo stuff, but that's like, because it's kind of like this weirdo thing, but I wanted something that I could scale and like offer to everybody and not really have to think about too much. Um, but also try to find like new ground with and, um, and so hats was one of those things where it was non-seasonal, no sizes. Um, and I thought it was like a really easy way for me to start conversation with not people that just know what Agony Studios or Rick Owens is or skateboarding, whatever, but literally anybody. Like everyone knows what a hat is. And uh, I wanted something that could, I don't know, just kind of cross those boundaries. So um, so me and my good friend, uh, Jordan, we, uh, we kind of he's he's just awesome and uh we had this this word that we kind of use called brewlers that we use interchangeably for everything from (laughs) a 12 pack of brewlers to like look at that you know little brewler or whatever (laughs) it's just kind of this weird thing and uh and and i don't really know it's just it's kind of not even really an inside joke it's just a weird word and so um the domain was open so we just got it and uh i literally impulsively started that in I think October, but, um, well, we've been having a good little go at it. And, uh, so I'm excited. That's one that's like, literally, I'm not even sure where it's going to go, but the idea is to kind of, uh, just make stuff, make uh, headgear. <laughs> it's just there in, in case you, in case you need it. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's super fun. It's like I said, I'm really impulsive and, uh, and it's a good outlet for me to not think about stuff too hard. Yeah. Dude, do you feel like I was thinking about this morning, this mm-hmm. this morning, this whole idea of like generalism versus like, um, I guess what's the other word for somebody who's like really focused on one thing. 
Specialist. Specialist. Yeah, like a special specialist. Like, do you find? I find myself like literally sometimes not even able to finish an email because I get like an idea to do something else, and like I enjoy being a journalist because I think it allows me to have like an interesting life and again create interesting dialogue behind things. But do you ever find a hard time focusing on one thing at a time, or do you you feel like you've mastered that in some way? Um, you know, when I was younger, like I think now that like early 20s, late 20s, I had a really hard time uh, just because like I felt like I was doing so much different stuff and it was hard for me to kind of find my rhythm. Um, but I think now, like I think that it was also this like blessing in disguise because I feel really comfortable with a lot of different things because I've been doing a lot of different things for a long time now um, that, uh, that it's maybe not as confusing. Um, I do think that there are, there's definitely pros. Uh, I think balance is key, but there's definitely pros about being like really good at one thing. Um, but I don't know. I'm pretty comfortable like learning about a lot of different stuff. And, uh, and I feel very confident in a lot of different spaces just because I know it's, so I have this theory and most of my friends who are specialists hate it. And most of my friends that are really good at stuff hate it. And I, I, I don't even think that it's not my theory really. Like, I just feel like you no longer have to be a spec, like a, you don't have to master anything. I think it's very admirable to master the piano, to master design, to master like architecture, whatever it is. Like I want that for everybody. I think it's great, but to be successful or financially successful, I think you only have to actually be minimal viable good to a certain point. And then based on social media in today's kind of whole scheme of the internet, um, you just tell people that you're the best. So like I wanted to, and hopefully by the time they, they, uh, they check on you, you at least know enough that um, you're able to kind of cover your ass or you've learned enough in the time that you've been claiming to be the best that you know what, you're not that bad. So, right. um, so I think that I tell my friends sometimes that, uh, mostly my friends who are musicians, because they're like, oh, I've just been making, I got so many songs I've made. I'm like, dude, you don't, like if you have three, just put them out and tell everybody mm -hmm. that the like just stop and just market it and at that point if a million people think you're the best musician like if many people think that dude you're a pretty good musician but that like you know what i mean i don't know if it's a healthy world to live in but i do think that based on how like people's rise to fame or financial security or whatever it may be that they're looking for uh it's this weird <laughs> it's this weird thing that you only have to be kind of minimal viable good to a point hmm. does that make sense kind of for yeah, sure. no, I think it does. I think that defines, like, the three of us, like, almost to a T. It's, like, we all, like, got into this thing because Instagram kind of exposed us to a lot of stuff really quickly. And, and then it's, like, man, I want to try this. I want to do design. I want to do photography. I want to, like, start making products and objects and goods. And, you know, I think it's easy when you, like, a lot, all of us are in our mid-20s. So it's, like, this thing where it's, like, man, am I going to get to 30 and still be, like, you know, messing around, like trying to figure out what to do. And yeah. I think just like realizing that all the parts equal up to a greater sum and like knowing that having a lot of different interests and, you know, yeah. being somewhat successful at a few things will, you know, lead you into the next journey or adventure. Do you feel, and I'll ask you guys this, I had this conversation um, with a friend who's starting like a uh, kind of business boot camp for, for kids who, you know, want to be entrepreneurial or whatever, but, um, and they asked me, like, what do I think would be like, you know, like, what do I think most kids get hung up on and, and why they don't start a business or whatever, maybe, or go after what they want to pursue. Um, and so I kind of reflected on myself. And I think the big kind of breakthrough that I personally had, um, like, 
probably like late tw- late teens, early twenties, is uh, I thought at the time that everything and like everything was like had to kind of start from zero. You know what I mean? Like I felt like if I wanted to get into music, I had to like make all the music. I had to I had to start from zero and make it. If I wanted to do clothing, I literally had to like source a fabric, sew it do everything from zero to the end. And although I think that that's like what everyone should shoot for is making something, um, I think most things that we consume or like aren't that way. And it took me kind of like a minute to step out and realize like, whoa, I can start from like 50% or I can grab this thing that exists and add it with this thing, copy, combine and transform these. And I got this new thing that's like kind of my own element. And and that's really like where the store came from is it was all these different stores that I had liked that I just copied them all and put them together. And then eventually it kind of transforms into your own thing. But do you guys feel like, I guess in design and stuff like that, that, that do you start from like zero or is it like, Oh, this is, I mean, it's probably good to do both, but is that something that you guys ever think about? I feel like we'll all have different answers, but I think one of the things a lot of people get strung up on is they get stuck on like the doing things. And we were t- I was talking about the, with them earlier about just doing things that make you feel good. Like you're in motion, you plan, you maybe open up a book, you know, you go to school for something, you look up a tutorial, um, and you yeah. spend all this time. And then at the end of the day, you don't have, you know, fast forward a year or two years, you don't have anything to show. So a lot of times you just need to do things that are actually actionable and once you start doing things that are actionable you'll start to produce things that you're proud of um before you know it and and it's just overcoming that in the beginning of of your career i think is really hard because you have to you have this idea that you have to be you know perfect or or you're comparing yourself to people that have been doing it a lot longer than you um and it's only through like trial and error that you really actually get good and you you gain valuable experience you know yeah i feel like since like We've only been doing mouthwash full time for six months now, but we've been building it for a few years, like through the podcast and the magazine and other things. But because we're all in our mid 20s, I think that's something we've really had to like push past and learn through because when we need to like believe that we have a seat at the table and in a way, like even if we're not 100 percent sure of something or a master at it or whatever, we still are selling it. And, you know, like we can do that. We'll make it happen. Like we believe that, like, we'll get you to that point. And so I think that's something we've really done well, because I think without that, it'd be like really hard on us as a company, not believing that we could do all those things. Um, without like having read every book and done every class and have a degree in that. But it's like, no, like we can do it. Let's make it happen. We have the resources. And I think, yeah, I would agree with you. I think actually that is the talent in itself is just starting because it's so hard, especially knowing that maybe you're not as equipped as you'd like to be to pursue this, but that you're going to find it along the way. And so, I mean, I think one thing I've learned, like talking to most people is like, that is actually like, that is the product is like pursuing this thing that's not complete and knowing like, hopefully I'm going to find it probably going to make some mistakes along the way. Um, and, and I love the idea that, especially if, if what you're starting with is, is not entirely yours and it's even more of this kind of like, Oh man, I'm so much more uncomfortable because I'm starting with this thing I'm into. Um, and yet I've kind of made it my own, but it's not a hundred percent, but yet I'm so passionate about it. I'm going to push it through no matter what. And then by the time you get to the end, you're like, oh, it's my thing because I just went on this amazing journey with this product that started off maybe, you know, 40 percent mine or 60 percent my own my own thoughts or design or whatever. Um, But by the time you end it, you're kind of like 
I've owned this thing. I know it inside and out. And, yeah. uh, and it is, you know, it is my thing. So I, I, I think like to add to that too, like, I think when we, when I was young and maybe like when we were young, there's like a lot of like, you feel like maybe prideful and like being able to try to do everything yourself. Like I'm going to teach myself design. I'm going to learn how to source materials. I'm going to like do all this stuff. And you realize like, I mean, like we have realized that like without the people that we've collaborated with on mouthwash, like we just wouldn't be where we are today, even from as simple as conversations or just shooting an email to somebody to like kind of help us out. And it's kind of like what you're talking about. It's like, if we can just like get a seat at the table with this person, we might already be at 30% instead of 1% by tomorrow. Um, and so just realizing that like, it's okay to share projects with people and it's share projects with people who are, have done it really well. Like, I, I just don't think like, if it's an encouragement to anybody out there, it's like, you just don't have to, you know, start at zero every aspect of the project for it to be yours at the end of the day. I think I would agree with you hundred percent on that. Um, and what I found myself doing is like, I would, I would find things I was really into and then I would just kind of like covet them or like keep them to myself and be like, Oh, I'm going to use it later on. Um, mm. like, this is so cool. What a cool idea. Like, I'm not going to share it. And I felt like it was kind of like almost hindering me in a way, like, like just, I was becoming kind of stagnant with all this stuff I was collecting, but not, not even really looking at just felt like I was just collecting these ideas that didn't go anywhere. But I, I thought once I started sharing them, that's when it really got like super fun. Um, but also I felt myself getting more inspired to like continue pushing them a little farther. Um, so I don't know. I like, I like the idea of trying to do that more too. Like, even if the idea is not complete or, you know, your stamp's not on it or like just putting it out and letting people interact with it um, and, uh, and still staying involved with it, I think actually keeps me, I don't know, more excited about doing, doing different projects around different ideas. Yeah, I feel like that leads to like talking about the same thing, which is arguably like one of my favorite things that you do is the, is the big data. Yeah, I, so earlier we discussed like just getting off the internet uh, all together. And uh, I think that Instagram, maybe not the internet, getting off uh, social media. Uh, I shouldn't say internet because I, I love the internet, but social media, uh, just because I feel like social media has been like super integral for us to find things we're into and introduce those to new people to follow and, uh, it, it kind of like opened us up to new things. But now that we know a little bit of that, it's hard to continue to discover or to go deeper in some of those things. So, uh, so I'm wondering if, if it, if we're going to see all these people on Instagram, um, that realize how good their content is or realize how many people follow their content or use it for mood boards or make stuff up, start to privatize, uh, that feel or vibe or mood, uh, which I, I think is interesting to think about for me, it was, I couldn't, it was hard for me to look for new things that inspired me. Um, like I used to go into random, like, I don't know, automobile forums and go into like user pictures and it'd be like a picture of this guy's truck. But in the background, you could kind of get a glimpse into his lifestyle because like, you know, you can see his boat parked in the yard or whatever. And in your mind, you're like, oh, that's cool. Like that's what that dude who drives that truck. That's what his life's like. Um, and so now everything's so kind of curated and packaged and contrived. Uh, most on Instagram, it's hard to get that same feel. So I found myself collecting like whether it's outerwear images or like random videos or stuff that would kind of imitate that feeling. Um, but really, I I think where it gets interesting is everyone's got their own vibe of things that they're into. And so it's just packaging all that up and and offering it. So similar to Instagram, but because you have to download it um, and and buy it. I think you end up spending more time with it. So it's, it's, it's similar to like hopping in the car and driving to the store that's two hours away. 
you're going to have a conversation or spend some time in the store because you drove two hours to get there. Um, I noticed that the people downloading uh, the same content that I was posting on my Instagram actually gave me more feedback about it. Um, and we ended up talking about it more than if I just posted on Instagram for a day and then it's just kind of gone. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in that idea of like uh, really kind of being responsible for downloading this thing. And then once you have this content um, that you paid for that lives on your computer, you feel like you might interact with it more, mm. whether deleting it, putting it in the recycling bin, um, or maybe you do something with it, or maybe you just turn it into your wallpaper. But I, I'm curious about that. I don't, I don't really know if that's yeah. It's not, that's something but. that we've had a few conversations about that we find super interesting. Like sometimes you run into people in the industry who keep everything close to their chest and like don't really want to tell anyone where they're sourcing things or where they're getting their inspiration or different things. But it's been really cool coming into contact and conversation with creatives who are so willing to give away all of their secrets and talk about it and like open up the conversation. We found that like some of the people that are making things that we most look up to are the people that are giving it away and kind of the conversation of like whatever information you have and inspiration you have is going to look different when you use it as your inspiration as like someone else. And like what's special is like how you're going to use it and how you're going to learn from it and what thoughts it's going to inspire on your end and it's not necessarily just like harboring it all for yourself so i think what you're doing with big data is super interesting because it's just giving it all away and i think for you like have you experienced a sense of like freedom and like just like letting all of that go um yeah well i, I cleaned my desktop off which was the first but yeah i think too like i started think trying to think about it different like on the monetary side i was kind of like well like I, I, I've been downloading a lot of music and um, it, I, I can't tell if I'm looking, like it could be my age. I can't tell, like I, I'm not finding the same uh, amount of albums that I love or that I feel like are really impacting me that I did when I was younger. And I think it's just because I'm older now and I've heard more. And so, um, so I find myself downloading music and listening to it over and over and over again and liking it because I've listened to it so many times. Um, so I kind of, you almost kind of talk yourself into liking it or you spend more time with it and the time you spend with it, you kind of grow fond of it. So I started thinking about like, if you could do that same thing with content, if I can do it with music, if I can download an iTunes album for $12 and first time through I listen to it, I'm like, eh, it's okay. But then after I listen to it for, you know, a month, I know all the words and I'm like, oh, it's kind of good. I kind of like this song. Like it, I have an attachment to it. Like, could you do that same thing with content, whether it be a book in PDF form whether it be like a spreadsheet, like they just kind of continue going through it as like a, as a little toolkit. Um, I do feel, I feel like personally, I feel really good kind of releasing all that content. Um, just because the amount of feedback I've gotten from it has like opened up so many more relationships than, um, I would have had if I had just kind of kept it to myself. The other thing to kind of dovetail on, you're saying that some of the people that have welcomed you with open arms and given you sources and stuff like that. I would say that like, I've, I've learned that some of the people that do that are usually the ones that know how hard it is to do what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. so, so the sourcing is actually the easy part. So they're saying, Hey, here's the sources. What's hard is actually making this thing, executing it and then committing to it. And yeah. what I found is most of the people coveting some of these things haven't actually done, um, you know, have actually done as much as some of those people that are giving it up freely. So I, I think that's why I wanted to kind of start to like do that as well, saying, hey, look, if I'm not going to do anything with it, 
um, there's no sense in me having it. It's only just kind of just weighing me down. So let's like either do something with it or like give, give it to somebody else so I can see what they come up with and maybe it'll inspire me, you know what I mean? Like in another way. So I don't know. It's kind of cool. It's almost like, you know, there are no shortcuts. Like, yeah, someone can give you, you know, I don't know how many hours it took you to dig up all those and or years of, of just like wormhole forums and stuff like that. But it's not just finding the resource. It's like actually making it, you know, um, which is kind of what you've, you're saying. But, yeah, there's no shortcuts, um, regardless, however you package it. And yeah, and kind of like a lot of the things, even like with the vending machine and even big data, like I really don't know what I'm doing with either one of them. Like it's a little <laughs> bit of like, hey, I'm just going to continue to like, you know, push forward with these and it could evolve um, so many different ways. But on this, on the last one we did, what was really fun is we invited, like I had like four or five people that I just met through Instagram that I was like, man, this guy's like really interesting and has a completely different point of view than I have. Like, I wonder what his desktop looks like. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like wonder, like we're probably into the some same things when it comes to like sneakers or like, you know, movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, he's probably got some stuff he's into that's like um, super interesting. And so, uh, whether it be spreadsheets or like a lot of it's even like decks that they've done for other brands and stuff. That's like, yeah. I don't know, like that's, that's just a lot of value. And so to think of it more as just, um, inviting people on, uh, I think it's like, man, who, like, who are my inspirations inspired by, you know what I mean? Like, what are, who are they looking to, um, for inspiration? And like, how do I, how do I kind of tap into that and, and see what that hidden bookmarks tab looks like and, and where they're pulling some of this from? Um, I think that that's kind of the, the uh, path I'd like to push towards. So I don't know if like the the whole, I mean, everybody can go look at what like big data is, but essentially you're just pulling like anything, right? Like images, videos, PDFs, like guides on the internet and just storing a huge compressed folder and then you sell it on the internet for like 10 bucks, right? Yeah, so in the beginning I got really into the idea of uh, like again, coming back and creating from zero. So I got kind of involved with like uh, fair use copyright, what that looks like. And I actually... I talked to a lot of my friends and they're like, you're crazy. Um, but this idea that like somebody could go and kind of like film the red carpet and post it on YouTube and it would get taken down. But if you went and you filmed the red carpet and you narrated over it and gave it a point of opinion or educational value or narrated it, uh, it could stay up. Um, and then I also like the idea of, you know, Andy Warhol kind of painting. If you, uh, I don't know, just the idea of this like art appropriation meets inspiration like where is that where is that balance so big data for me in the beginning was kind of like maybe if it's something like it's all these ideas and it's this greater kind of collage of audio video um everything you know spreadsheets it becomes a new product than just this video that's like 15 seconds from youtube so i like the idea of making kind of this creative development suite that's a giant collage of everything i'm into and then selling it uh, that's how it started. And then as I started doing it and with the second one, it turned a little bit into like, let's instead of grabbing this content, like half of this content's original, let's push towards more original content for more different people uh, because it feels a little bit more authentic um, in different ways. And I'm not, I'm not 100% sure if that's the way it's going to continue to go, but, um, but I don't know. I like that with the second one. Like it was mostly all original, like scans or photos and stuff. Right. Like that. And it, it seemed to hit a little harder. Uh, yeah, which is cool. Yeah, just like you were talking about art appropriation, and explain a little bit about the geomax that you made, and um, 
if you had any issues with licensing and is there fear because i think sometimes we're like man like these illustrations are so sick what if we just like you know adapt them a little bit and see if we could put our own spin on it but like we also come from the commercial world where like people go crazy over like licensing images which is like rightly so but i just kind of want to hear your opinion on appropriation and all that yeah i think i mean i think that uh you you should definitely give credit to like original artwork but i also think that a lot of people take credit just for things that already existed like i, I firmly don't believe that anybody's coming up with like original concepts i think that all these concepts are they come from somewhere you know what i mean and we all say we want new stuff but we actually just want familiar things that are just tweaked a little bit um so they're interesting but not so new that they're hard to align with uh so with the art stuff um I would say that, like, when you have something creative that you do, uh, you should definitely, like, you should definitely put it out there and protect it as much as possible. But I also think that if you're putting it into the open space, you should also let it, like, if it's there to inspire people. If it's not, if you're not making, like, why are you making something? If you're not making it to show people, then it's therapy. It's not, it's not so much art. It's something that you should keep. If, you, if you're making art or you're making product it's to put in the open space and to have an impact on people um and to create some sort of like i don't know reaction whether it's from them buying it whether it's from being inspired by it and when you do that you cross over this line of okay it's in the open space um they buy it they can probably mix it do whatever they want with it um and create this like you know greater thing um so i i think with the nike stuff the drip max stuff one thing that like like I think you kind of got to respect the overall point that you know where Nike started, what they've come from, and and kind of elements they've pushed. Whether it's been like SB or Air Force Ones, and even the history of like Air Force Ones being kind of discontinued and the retailers bringing them back in. So for me, I really wanted to take a spin on something that I didn't think that Nike would do in house, and that was make a product that literally chipped off paint chips everywhere. Um, and I thought that like. I like that because it was a little harder to commit to. Mm. Um, for me, like there wasn't any really like kind of licensing issues or anything like that. But I also didn't push it so hard or claim claim it to be anything other than you know kind of what it was. Um, right. That was those dipped dip Nikes. I think when you start to claim things that that uh, you know aren't uh, like if I had claimed like oh this is like full on Nike thing um, they they dipped them all. That's where it kind of gets a little bit a little bit hairy. But I just appreciate that they even like, you know, kind of acknowledge the whole thing. So it was cool. That's awesome, dude. Uh, real quickly before we, you know, end it, um, I want to talk about your music because we talked about Hath and Broke, Brewers, and Big Data. But a lot of people don't know you're actually really amazing, like music artist. Um, I I love the Mystery Ranch stuff you put out. I actually listen to it a lot while I work. So just curious as like what inspired you to to venture in a new me- medium. So music's probably one of the most like. Um, music's probably what I love the most and I spend the most time on, but it's also probably the scariest thing to kind of like enter into because you actually turn into like, if you do it live, you become a performer and it's, it's super vulnerable. Like it's a very like scary spot to be in. So it's probably taken me the longest to kind of get there. You know what I mean? Like to put something out, let people like criticize it or judge it. Um, and then also kind of still like it after you spend so much time making it, like you usually fall out of love with these things along the way. Um, so I, I actually want to do music probably like, I think like now that I'm, I'm 31 now. So like now that I've got a chance to do a bunch of different other things and have like both success and failures at them, um, I think it's less scary to, uh, to try to do music, not in like, 
not like a crazy way, but I just feel like um, I'd like to kind of continue to pursue that way. And, and I've never really played a live show. Like, actually, that's a lie. I've done, I did one uh, for like a little, uh, it was like a fashion show thing. That was pretty fun. But I like the idea of trying to do more around that um, and just see what happens. And just like, like if you take the patterns of like not knowing how to do a lot of the stuff that I've been able to do in the past and apply it to music, I think it could end up good. But like, again, it, it might just suck and I might, it might be horrible, but I'd like to, I'd like to do music more. It's amazing. Hey, we might have to do round two, honestly, for uh, all you guys listening out there. Um, you, there's a lot to look up on Caleb and Hathenbrook and all that he's doing. And um, sometimes this stuff isn't always super clear. So maybe just reach out to him. He sounds like a, you know, he's always open for conversation and we're super inspired by him and, you know, hope that we get to jam on something someday. No, we'll get something going. You know what cool. I mean? Like I said, just keep pushing. Oh, man. <laughs> so, awesome. Uh, cool, man. Cool. Thanks again, dude. Awesome. Thanks for talking. Yeah, bye. Thanks again for listening to the Mouthwash Podcast. For more information, you can follow us on social media or check us out at mouthwash.com.